The old is the new. Jonah. Hello and welcome to the Revive Church Podcast with Pastor Todd Mazingo. I'm your host, Paul Garner. Thank you for listening today. Pastor Todd teaches us today from his series, The Old is the New. In this series, he shows us a new reality about the relationship of the Old Testament to the New. Just as Jesus would tell parables, stories to explain spiritual realities, the Old Testament can be seen as stories to reveal New Testament spiritual truths and realities. For example, in Luke 24:27, the scripture says, Then beginning with Moses and with all of the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. In today's message, Pastor Todd focuses on the story of Jonah. Jesus tells us that he and Jonah are similar in Luke 11. So can we see Jesus in the story of Jonah? Could Jesus be rightfully compared to Jonah? Pastor Todd reveals Jesus in this story. Let's listen in as Pastor Todd explains. Be sure to listen to the end for some important information. So today we're gonna continue in our journey through connecting the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament and New Testament together with a very, 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 everybody say very, very familiar story, but we're gonna go deep, deep, deep on it. Today we're gonna be talking about Jonah talking about Jonah and the big fish, Jonah and the whale. We've known this story since we were kids. God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah tries to run away to Tarshish. If you don't know where that's at, Nineveh is 500 miles east of Israel, and Tarshish is 2,000 miles west. So he is running away. Uh, In the midst of running away, he gets thrown into the sea. In the midst of that, he gets swallowed by a big fish, uh, and he goes to Nineveh to ask them to repent. Uh, Nineveh today, if you were to find Nineveh on the map today, you would know it today. It has a name today. It's Mosul, Iraq. Mosul, you'll hear it in the news. That is Nineveh today. At the time, it was the world's largest city. Uh, Claimed to have 120,000 people in the city of Nineveh. So how does that story relate to us in the New Testament today? Guess how? Everybody say, Jesus. Jesus. Good answer. I've decided from now on I'm not asking a question unless the answer is Jesus. Okay, so because Jesus is the one who tells us that Jonah is like him, that's why we're going to connect these two together. There's two places that happens, two different statements, and I'm going to show you. Many of you think that he's saying the same thing, but he's saying two different things. Matthew 12, 39 and 40. But he, Jesus, answered to them and said, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was in the whale three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. A second statement he makes, recorded in Luke 11.30, for just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. 
Now, here's what happens when we start looking at these scriptures trying to figure out. We get all caught up in this whole three-day, three-night thing. Was Jesus really in the tomb three days, three nights? Well, we better pull out the way the Jews looked at days and nights starting at 6 p.m., and we try to calculate this thing out. I'm not going there today because I just don't think that's really the point he's trying to make, so we're just going to move on from that. I'm going to start by reading the story, and we're going to look for... Jesus in this story. And this is a story that is truly component driven. What do I mean by it? Component after component after component after component in this story tells you that this is a story about Jesus. I'll show you what I mean. Let's start in Jonah 1.1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Amittai. Did you see it? It was right there. No? That's okay. So Jonah, the name means dove. Amittai means truth. So we're talking about the dove that came from truth. Oh, arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Their wickedness has come up before me. You'll see that a lot in the Old Testament. You see that that was the cry of the, from the earth when the Lord decided to send the flood. You'll see it was the cry from Sodom and Gomorrah when the Lord brought fire and brimstone. You'll see that Jeremiah says that of Jerusalem, that the cry of wickedness came out of Jerusalem. Verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, this is where it gets a little metaphorical. What do I mean by that? If this is Jesus, if Jonah is somehow Jesus, how is Jesus running from God? Grab this with me. If this is Jesus, if Jonah represents Jesus, why would he be running? Because we got to remember that Jesus compared himself to Jonah. And I think this comparison is 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Could it be that the original metaphor is that sin is running from the presence of God? So we went down to Joppa, and he found a ship that was going to Tarshish. He paid the fare. I'm telling you, these are the things that just jump off the page at me. Do I really need to know that Jonah paid to get on that ship? What would be the value of knowing that he paid to get on the boat? And he went down into it to go with them from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. So don't miss it. He's heading to Tarshish to flee the presence of the Lord. And he paid a price to get on the ship that will result in his death. For you have been bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6, 20. Jesus' death, therefore glorify God in your body. Verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, watch, and every man cried to his God, small g, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. The sailors were not believers in Jonah's God. That's important. The sailors were not believers in Jonah's God. Where is Jonah at this time? But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laid down and fallen sound asleep. Who do we know that sleeps in the boat during a storm? Good answer. 
So the captain approaches him and says, how is it that you're sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Is this a familiar statement when Jesus is sleeping in a boat? Matthew, uh, Mark 4.38, Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on a cushion, and they woke him up and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Are you beginning to see the components all seem to line up? Each man said to his mate, come, let us cast lots so that we can learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. Anybody remember guards, non-believers, casting lots at Jesus' crucifixion? As I have said before, ask the question, why is that in the Bible? They need to cast lots to figure this out. He's the one sleeping in the boat. Then they said to him, tell us now, watch, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And from what people are you? These are physical questions in the Old Testament. Where do we see them in the New Testament? Do you remember Pilate talking to Jesus just before his crucifixion? Who are you? Are you a king? Are you a king of the Jews? Where is your kingdom? And what is the truth? Components. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men came extremely frightened and they said to them, how could you do this to us? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And they said to him, what should we do that the sea might become calm for us? The sea was becoming increasingly stormy. And he said, pick me up, throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. He is telling them, sacrifice me, Jonah, and my death will bring peace to this storm. However, the men rowed desperately and they returned to try to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming stormier against them. Guess what? They try to use works to resolve the wrath of God, the law. Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life. Watch and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, the Lord, have done what you pleased. I want you to see two things in that statement. What are they saying? We know it's innocent blood. We don't want to be accountable for it. What did Pilate say when he decided to crucify Jesus? I am innocent of this man's blood in Matthew 27, 24. Secondly, do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? Luke 23, 34. But Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And they cast lots and divided up his garments among themselves. So, verse 15, they picked up Jonah. They threw him into the sea, and guess what? The sea stopped raging. Then men feared the Lord, capital L, greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The sacrifice of Jonah slash Jesus brought peace to the storm. The unbelieving sailors then feared God. Components. 
Matthew 27, 54. Now the centurion at the cross and those were with him keeping guard over Jesus. When they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they became frightened and they said, truly this is the son of God. The guard over Jesus recognized it was God. The guards in this boat recognized it was the Lord. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. So here it is. Here's the whole three-day, three-night thing, and Jonah in the belly of the fish. Uh, and this is the direct comparison that Jesus talked about, he and Jonah. He's going to be in that belly of the whale three days, three nights. But I want to look more closely at the comparison, Matthew 12, 39, where we started. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Listen, you don't know when this scripture is delivered where the inflection is, so consider this inflection. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be. Interesting, just as Jonah, like Jonah, in the same way as Jonah. Forget the three days and three nights for just a moment. In the same way, and I'm telling you, some of you are going to struggle with what I'm about to teach, but hang in there. We're going to go back to Jonah chapter 2, and I want to read you something that may surprise you about Jonah. See, chapter 2 is actually a poem that Jonah writes about his experience. He tells you what it was like for him in the whole fish incident. It starts this way. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord God from the stomach of the fish and said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Shoel. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the current engulfed me, and your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of depth. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains, the earth with its bars was around me forever. I'm going to stop before I leave the last phrase of verse 6 because I'll show it to you in a minute. Jonah gets thrown into the Mediterranean Sea and here's his description of what happened physically. In a physical sense, he said, the current engulfed me, breakers and billows passed over me, and I descended to the roots of the mountains, and the earth with its bars were around me forever. I'm talking the depth of the ocean. He's saying the mountainous regions in the oceans, I went to the bottom of that. Then spiritually, he says this, I cried from the depths of Shoel. Shoel is the grave in Scripture. It is death. It is hell. It is the pit. And he said, I have been expelled from your sight. I don't know about you, but every bit of that sounds like he drowned. Every bit of that sounds like he died. 
And you would argue, but wait a minute, doesn't verse 5 say this happened to the point of death? Uh, that he prayed from the belly of the whale, it says at the beginning. So it doesn't sound like he was dead. I want to address those two things. First of all, in verse 5, do you know that the translation of the word to the point of death is only one Hebrew word? And that one Hebrew word is nefesh. Nefesh. You know what nefesh means in the Hebrew? The soul. The entire phrase is one word, the soul. Now that changes. Water encompassed me to the soul. Water overcame my body. Water arrived at my soul. Not to the point of death. It came all the way to my soul. Forget the body. What about this part where it says he prayed from the belly of the whale? Let me ask you something. When Jesus was in the tomb, do you think he was laying there quietly that entire time waiting for Sunday morning? Do you think he might have been doing something? Was he getting the keys of Haiti? Perhaps he was preaching to those who were in prison who formerly had not believed, as it says in 1 Peter 3.19. What's my suggestion? Could it be that a reference by Noah that he was actually dead, not necessarily while he was alive in the belly of the whale, and this is one incredible air pocket, by the way, if it can hold Jonah for three days after he sinks to the bottom, that the fish comes and there's an air pocket that, I don't know, revives him. My point is we're comparing him to Jesus. Was Jesus in an air pocket in the tomb? Let me show you one more thing. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bar was around me forever, but you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. What is he saying? I was dead, and you brought me back to life. Jonah says he was in Shoel. That is a place of death, and God brought him out of there. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. What a beautiful picture. (laughs) Why am I trying to make the point that Jonah was dead in the whale? Because in Matthew 12, it says, Jesus said, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, yet no sign will be given but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was in the whale three days and three nights, in the same way I was dead, just as Jonah was dead three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. If Jesus is like Jonah and Jonah is not dead, then Jonah wasn't resurrected like Jesus was resurrected. So maybe Jesus was saying, like Jonah died and was entombed in the well, I will also die and be entombed in the earth. Maybe Jesus is comparing himself to Jonah wasn't so much about the number of days, but about the fact that he would die and be resurrected. And let me add one more thing, because Luke 11.30 says this, for just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, everybody say Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Let me clarify the two main points here. Just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Jesus is saying this, and I think we miss this. Jesus says that Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, and that like that sign, uh, Jesus will be assigned to this generation. 
He's saying this in the first century. Jesus is saying, just like Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, I will be assigned to this generation. We miss that word, this. Did the Ninevites know that Jonah had been in a whale? No. How could they have? He got, he got prugged by whale. He got spit out on the land. Let's assume that was in the Mediterranean in, in Israel somewhere. He now has to travel 500 miles to get to Nineveh. Would Nineveh have heard his story before he got there? No, he's honest. They don't know that he's been in a whale. Nothing in scripture ever tells us that the Ninevites knew that he had been swallowed by a whale. So what was Jesus saying? What was the sign of Jonah to the Ninevites? Go to Jonah 3, 4. Then Jonah began to go through the city on a day's walk. He's in Nineveh and he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What is the sign to the Ninevites? Repent, or in 40 days, you will be overthrown. So Jesus comes proclaiming repentance to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem doesn't repent. Listen to him. Luke 19, 41. When he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. If you had known in this day even you, the things which make for peace. But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and will surround you and hem you in on every side and they will level you to the ground and your children within you and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. He's saying, I am here now. I am calling for Jerusalem to repent, and you're not going to recognize it, and you're going to get leveled. When? When? In Scripture, when you talk prophetically, a day and a year are the same. Daniel 9, prophecies about the 70 weeks, took 490 years. Ezekiel 4, 6, listen to this Scripture. When you have completed these, you shall lie down a second time. This is a word to Ezekiel. But on your right side and bear the iniquity of the house of Judah, I have assigned it to you for 40 days, a day for each year. Numbers 14.34. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, 40 days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even 40 years, and you will know my opposition. So the sign to Nineveh is that if you do not repent in 40 days, your city will be destroyed. Jesus is saying to this generation, the one that he is in the city with, no one living in Jerusalem at the time of Christ, that if you do not repent, your city will be destroyed in 40 years. Guess what happens in 40 years? The Romans come in and level Jerusalem. Back in Jonah, he is telling the people in the first century, you want the sign of what's going to happen to you? Look at what happened to Nineveh. It was the sign of the Ninevites that if you didn't repent in 40 days, they would be destroyed. Jesus is telling them in the first century, you will be destroyed in 40 years. So here I am reading an Old Testament story about a guy getting swallowed by a fish, and in the middle of it, He's telling the people in Jerusalem, you're only going to last 40 more years and then you're going to be wiped out. All connected. 
The entire story is prophetically about Jesus. It was telling the people in advance that a Savior would sacrifice himself. That Savior would ask them to repent. And because they did not repent, their city would be destroyed. Direct prophetic revelation of Jesus in the story of Jonah. I'm just going to be honest with you. I was talking to Massey. We pray together before the service. And I said, you know what? This lesson is kind of heady. It's kind of dry. It's kind of uh, academic. But this is what I want you to see. The stories in the Old Testament come alive when you see what they're about. And all of a sudden, things that are taught don't make sense because the correlation and the parallel isn't there. And here's a story loaded with components about Jesus. And in the first century, they were supposed to read that and see, if you're the Messiah, you're going to be crucified. And when he was crucified, they still didn't believe. It's a question of our faith. And oftentimes it's a question of, can your intellect be shut down enough to let your faith rise up? Listen to me. I grew up in religion. I grew up in defense and arguments of bad doctrine and bad theology. But baby, I could throw down the Bible on you any day of the week and make you think anything I wanted to make you think based on a scripture. Until the Holy Spirit slapped me down and said, let me show you what this stuff is actually about. And then revelation starts to jump off the page. Somebody came to me just before the service. Said, how do you see this stuff between the New and the Old Testament? I said, I don't. I just go to the Old Testament and say, show me what this story's about. And then he starts showing me components. <laughs> Folks, we live in a day, listen to me. We are going to stand in heaven one day and we're going to have a Bible and say, it was all right there. It was all right there. All we had to do is ask the Holy Spirit to reveal how was it all going to play out. You're confused by revelation. Most people are. But God has hidden mysteries in there because he's telling us how it's going to go down. Why? Because he wants you prepared. Stand to your feet, please. I'm going to ask my altar ministers to come forward. Because something's about to happen in this service that is a demonstration of what we were called to do. I just spent 30, 30 minutes going through the word of God showing you Jesus in the word. That same Jesus offers miraculous power today to break chains, to heal your body, to release you from burdens. And the role of us today is to move in that spiritual power and watch it happen. And we're going to make a little change today. If you want prayer, I need you in this aisle or in this aisle. We've got so many people coming for prayer. It's too much of a log jam here. So now we're going to have two entry points. We just need this area up here to be quiet. We need the spirit to work. We need healing to happen. But that's for you today in the spirit. I've given you the word. Now let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Because you're standing there and you know your struggle. You know there's a relationship problem going on in your life. You know there's a financial problem going on in your life. You know you have unforgiveness, and you don't even realize the blessings of God that are being withheld from you because of that unforgiveness. But this is a house of the miracles, and God loves you 
dearly, so much that he would send his son to die just to reconcile you to him so he could heal you. Jesus took stripes in his physical body, and by the fact that he took it on the cross, we get healed. What does that mean? It's not hard if you've been in church very long to recognize that Jesus died for our sin. All of the things we've done wrong, he took the punishment for. He was on the cross. He died. He was separated from God. We said, my God, why have you forsaken me? We get all that, and we say, okay, he took our sin. He took our punishment. He took our condemnation so that we could be set free to have a relationship with God. I want you to listen to me. What the book of Isaiah said was that by his stripes, you're healed. Now, now listen, he didn't take those stripes just because there were mean people around him. He took the physical abuse so that you could have physical healing the same way he took the shame and the guilt upon himself so that you could have healing from your sin. God offers you today, would you put your faith in him to heal you? Would you be willing to step up and say, I've got a kidney problem. I've got a diagnosis that the doctor's trying to put on me. I've got a burden that's so strong that anxiety and depression are coming upon me. Listen to you, that's demonic. And it can be bound and cast off of you. And you can get a peace that goes beyond your understanding. Don't miss this this morning. You'll leave, you'll get in the parking lot, you'll have your little um, Italian ice, which are amazing and great, by the way. They're outstanding. And you'll be sitting in your car, eating your chocolate Italian ice, thinking, I probably should have gone forward for prayer for my shoulder, for my ankle, for my mother-in-law. She needs prayer. I say it lightly, but listen, don't let the opportunity for God to do the miraculous in your life go right by you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we're here because we believe in you, that you created us, that you love us, that you sent your son to die for us, and then you give us the Holy Spirit to empower us to heal the sick, to cleanse the leper, to raise the dead, and to cast out the demon. We believe in Jesus' name. Well, what did you think? Has God been speaking to you about any of these things? We would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at reviveusnow.com. What if, in our attempt to get something from Scripture, we are missing the point of that Scripture? What if, in our desire to do better and walk our Christianity more closely in line with Scripture, we are missing what the Scripture is about? Pastor Todd's latest book, Flip the Script, takes a fresh look at what the Scriptures are meant to teach us about the kingdom of God so that application comes from spiritual understanding instead of behavior modifications. This new book is available now on Amazon. Flip the script. This podcast is brought to you by Revive Church of Stewart, Florida. You can learn more about us at our website, reviveusnow.com. If you would like to support this ministry, go to our website, reviveusnow.com slash give. If you live in our area or are planning a visit to our area, we would love to have you join us. We are located at 8851 Southwest Old Kansas Avenue, Stewart, Florida. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not click to subscribe right here on the podcast site of your choice. That way you won't miss any of Pastor Todd's and Revive Church's future podcasts. Thank you for joining us.